0: Alright. I love that song. My, my favorite part about that song is watching Stuart play drums. He looks like a crazy Amish lumberjack drummer. Which <laughs> is awesome. He's so good too. So. Anyway, hey, hey, we're going to kick off a new series today where, once again, we're going to try to use a technique that Jesus used quite often when he was trying to teach new truth to people or maybe um, truth that maybe they'd forgotten about or, or even ignored. And if, if you've been around Flatirons very long, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's this idea of taking something that's new or unfamiliar and comparing it to something that the, the people Jesus was talking to were already familiar with and then saying, it's kind of like that. God's kind of like that or that's how you do it or that's how not to do something. And he did this all the time when he was teaching people, like like Jesus talked about water and said it's kind of like life, which makes sense to the people he was talking to because they lived in a desert. Water equals life. If you don't have water, you'll die. And they went, oh, I understand. Or or he said things like this, God's kind of like our shepherd. And that makes sense to them, not so much to us. But back then people, there were a lot of shepherds running around. They all went, oh, if God's like that, then I know what God's like. He talked about how God, um, you know, listening to what God says about this is a better way to live your life, he says that's kind of like a farmer, God, planting seeds, that'd be his truth, in, in the ground, and that would be us. And all the farmers went, oh, I, I, know, I know how that works. Sometimes the seed, you know, gets in and, and it takes root and it grows and everything's great. Uh, sometimes it just bounces off the hard surface and doesn't do anything. Sometimes it gets in and it starts great, then the sun comes out and it, and it kind of fades away. So yeah, I know what you're talking about, Jesus, It happens on my farm every day. So Jesus would compare things, you know, all the time. So, so most of the time when Scott and I are up here trying to teach out of a, a book that's 2,000 years old that we believe has timeless truth in it, we try to do the same thing. We look around at our world and at our culture and try to find like illustrations and metaphors and songs and comparisons that kind of say the same thing, that God's truth is still timeless god's truth is still you know works today it's alive today now hold on to that we're going to get back to that that whole concept all right so a couple weeks ago um i I had my remote control i love my remote control all right but um i I had my remote control and i'm flipping through all my channels on on my on my cable and i and i realized that that there were a lot of i don't know shows and programs and movies and documentaries about a month ago about the titanic did anybody notice that it's like every station all right what's going on so i turned one of them on and within a few minutes i understood why April 15th was the 100-year anniversary of the sinking of what was then the, the, the largest, greatest, fastest, fancy, fanciest ship that had ever been built. The whole world was talking about it. But if you could have gone back to that dock before the Titanic you know, took off, um, the, 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 probably the, the most common description that you would, hear, you would have heard about the Titanic was that it's virtually unsinkable. There's nothing that will ever sink this thing. Nobody, especially the company that built this great ship, nor the passengers who paid like a, a small fortune for a ticket on her maiden voyage, could, could imagine or visualize anything, any circumstance where something so big and powerful and beautiful as the Titanic, Titanic could ever encounter or, or, or anything that could cause her any damage, let alone destroy her. As a matter of fact, the reason they, they called her that is Titanic actually means this, great size, enormous strength and power and influence. This thing will be here forever. She's so strong. But, but most of you know the story. Um, the Titanic's first and only voyage just lasted three days. And for the last 100 years and counting, she's been sitting almost two and a half miles down on the bottom of the ocean after hitting an iceberg in the North Atlantic. And, and the greatest ship in the world sank in three hours and took with her 1,600 of her passengers who trusted her to get, her, to get them to their destination, New York City. And now when we think about the Titanic, we we think of words like this, it was a disaster, it was a tragedy, and now the Titanic is nothing more than a graveyard. Now, hold on to that, we'll get back to that. Okay, so six and a half years ago, um, I moved out here to Colorado to become the the lead pastor at Flatirons, and one of the decisions that that we made early on is that at least once a year we'd take a time out from everything else we're teaching, and and we would do what what usually we just call around here our, our value series. And by values, here's what I mean, is what are the key truths and concepts that drive everything we do? And not just what we do around here at Flatirons, but but how we do it. Because everything changes, right? The world changes, life changes, people change, pastors come and go, buildings change. We changed buildings in the last year. Everything changes, but what must never change? What's like the most important things that even if everything else changes, we have to hold on to them because if we ever let go of them, um, even if things gone, have gone great so far, um, it can all fall apart. As a matter of fact, when we moved in here, the first series we did is we don't want our building to change us. So we, we did a series called So Far So Good, but we can still screw it up, right? So early on, we sat down and, and we landed on six values that drive... Every answer to almost every question that could come our way about, now, why do we do that and why don't we do that and why do we do it that way and why do we do it so loud and what, whatever that is, okay? And, and so um, every year we do this series for a couple reasons, really three reasons, primary reasons why we do this every year in the past is the seventh one we've done and, and why we'll always do this every year. Three reasons. The first one is this, um, all, all organizations, all, all people really, if we don't pay attention, we drift, we drift off course and usually we drift in a bad direction, usually a really weird direction. We don't try to get weird, we just do, right? That's just, just true. I mean, I do that in my own life, don't you? I do it in my marriage, in my budget, in my health and fitness. I mean, I, I don't try to let myself go, did you? Right? I mean, you get out of bed one day and you walk over and you get on the scale and look down and you can't see your feet <laughs> you're like, what What happened, right? Or, or, or you get your credit card statement and it's over the, you know, over the limit or, or you get out of bed and your wife's not speaking to you and you're like, "Well." When did that happen? And the answer is, probably not all at once. It, it took a while to get there. And it's the same thing with church. See, nobody's quite sure when or where, you know, it all got started. But one day, and this is some of our stories, you looked around and you realized, my church is really weird. It does really stupid stuff. Why did they do that? And it, it doesn't look anything like Jesus had in mind when he had an idea called his church. So the, the first purpose of, of our yearly value series is this. We realize we aren't perfect and left to our own, if we don't pay attention, we can, we can blow this up. We can jack the whole thing up. So every, every year we carve out six weeks and go back and remind ourselves, oh yeah, that's who we are. And this is what Jesus wants us to do. So that's the first reason, alright? There's the second purpose of this series is for those of you who are, who are pretty new to flat irons. And what I mean by that is one out of three of you didn't go to church here a year ago. That's just crazy, all right? So just one, two, three, you're new, one, two, right? That's just the way it works. So like a third of you never were across the street in the, in that strip mall over there. And, and, and you're probably, maybe, maybe you're here maybe for the first or second time or since Easter, or whatever that is. And you're sitting there going, well, I don't, what kind of church is this, all right? Or, or some of you are like, I, I didn't even know this was church. I got caught in traffic. I was looking for Walmart. Last time I was at Walmart and <laughs> where's the tires? That's all I want, you know? And um, so you're trying to figure out where you are. And that, that's great. Over, over the next several weeks, I hope you get an answer to that about who we are and what we do and why we do it and where where we want to go as a church. I have to tell you up front is I, I got to tell you because I want to save you some time and me some time uh, what we're not looking for. All right, if you're here and you're going, you know, I'm new to flat irons, but I don't like the way you guys do this. And in my old church, we did it this way. Why don't you do it your, th- that way? To it, my response is this: That's great. It's not right or wrong. But, but if it works so great at your last church, why aren't you still there, all right? And if, and if, if you miss that, and it's, again, it's not a right or wrong thing, but if, you, if that's what you want, go, go back there. They miss you, all right? So go in peace, all right? So, um, and and I, I'm, not, I'm not being arrogant. I'm not trying to put off, the, put off the vibe that, you know, we have it all figured out. We're not open to any new ideas. We don't have it all figured out and we are open to a lot of new ideas. But we know who we are. And we know that we're not like a lot of other churches and we're okay with that. We really are. And if you don't like us, that's all right. There are lots of great churches in the Denver area. You know, there are. So you know, we're open to just about anything, pretty much everything except letting go of our values. So in the next you know, in a few weeks, if you're sitting here and your response is, I don't like that. I don't, I don't, I don't like those values. I like three of them. The other three I don't, I don't like and I want them to change their values I have to tell you up front, all right, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place, and I, this is the wrong church for you, and I would strongly encourage you to find a different church, a church that you can agree with, and a church that you can worship God in, and, and that you can jump in and serve for a couple reasons. All right, really, again, I'm not trying to be mean here, but, but you need to find a church that you can really partner with, and, because uh, we don't have membership here. I get that asked all the time. I don't know what that means, you know. It's like, like do you have to sign a pa- piece of paper and should my last church send a letter going, we give him to you? What, what, whatever that is, I don't know how it works, but here's how we do it around here is that if you agree with our values, then, then jump in and partner with us and find a place to serve and get involved and let's do this together. But if you don't agree, I don't, I don't like this church, I don't like the way you do that, but you plan on sticking around, but being divisive and, 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 and critical without helping, then the Bible would describe you, and really, I'm just talking to Christians here, but the Bible would say, if you're gonna stick around, Jesus says you're kind of like, we're a body, but you're like an infected part, like a toxic part. And if you stick around, you're gonna make all of us kind of sick, all right? So uh, that's what Jesus said, so email him if that offends you. But um, (laughs) So again, if if, if you wanna join us, join us. If you don't, then find some place that you do. And the other reason we need you to find another church is, we need your seat. I said, well, that just hurts my feelings. Well, pray about it, all right? Uh, here's what I mean. It's like, we're not a rich church. I know this is a big building. It's a remodeled Albertsons. I mean, we, we, we build this thing as cheap as, as possible, but I, none of us have a lot of money. I don't mind carving money out of my limited budget and putting those buckets back there. And that's what most of us do around here, but I don't have a lot of time. I, I, I don't, I, you know, but I volunteer or I, or, I, or I jump in. Let me tell you why I do that. I don't mind spending my limited money on more chairs and paving parking lots and even starting a new location of Flatirons in another place, all right? But the reason we do that is we're trying to create some space for people who are looking for truth can bump into Jesus. That's why we do this. And we want everyone to stay, okay? We want everyone to stay and join us. But if you're, if you're gonna stay and stand in the way of people bumping into Jesus, we'd just rather you do that someplace else, all right? That's just true. The third reason, I'll move on because it's really awkward in here. The third reason is, is this. I do this every year and I get some emails and I, I'll answer them. But uh, the third reason um, we do this value series is this. All the values that apply to us as flat irons apply to us as individuals too. Meaning what's true for, for, for a church is true for me as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a friend, as a leader, as a boss, and four us from today, a grandpa. So, I mean, all of this kind of applies. So in the next few weeks, take, take these values and, and ask yourself if and how they might affect your life, if they became the values that drove your life. Now, hang on to that, okay? So here's what we've covered so far. We have, this is how Jesus taught, so that's why Jim and Scott do what they do. And then you have the Titanic, and then we have our value series. Now, it's time to kind of get inside of Jim's head, which is kind of scary, but it's fun. <laughs> There's shiny stuff in here. It's all over the place. But anyway, um, uh, let me show you how, how, kind of sitting in my office, how this all kind of comes together to where we find ourselves today. Uh, a few weeks ago, Scott uh, sent me a quote from a book. And I got to be honest with you, Scott reads a lot of books, all right? I, I don't. I just don't. Well, I do. I do. But Scott, Scott reads books about, like, God <laughs> and Jesus and church leadership and stuff like that. And I, and I read books like about guns and, and like Navy seals and army snipers and stuff, which means two things. All right. It means that Scott's smarter than me, but it also means that when the world ends, Scott will be in my basement because I have all the guns. All right. So, um, I watch Preppers. It's fascinating to me. But anyway, um, um, but I did read part of a book uh, recently all right, about the Titanic. But anyway, Scott sends me this great quote from this famous preacher named D.L. Moody. It really caught my eye and got my, my brain thinking, all right? Here's what D.L. Moody said. He said, the place for the ship is in the sea, but God helped the ship if the sea gets into it. Now that makes sense, right? All right. But what really kind of made me kind of go, ah, oh, is if you switch a few words or replace a few words, the application takes on a whole new meaning, at least for us. Look, look at this. Just switch this out. The place for the church is in the world, but God helped the church if the world gets into it, right? That just makes sense. Meaning Jesus was really clear why he came and why he had this idea called church, He said, here's what my church is going to be about. I want to show the world what God is like, that he doesn't hate people, that he actually loves us, to show the world that God has a a better plan for your life than what the world is trying to sell you. To say, I know you've messed up your life, but I'll pay for your sins and mistakes and make it possible for you to get a second chance and live reconnected back to God. Not just after your funeral, but like like this afternoon from from now on. Bottom line, the message of Jesus and the message of his church is God still loves us and everybody gets another chance, right? Right? See, when Jesus here was here, he 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 made he said several things about his church. He made it really, really clear. We've covered some of these over the you know since Easter, but he told his followers, his community, "I want you to leave rooms like this and go go all over the place, go all over the planet. I want you to take my message of truth, and this is what love looks like. And I want you to teach it, and I want you to live it out, especially in places in the world that don't know I love them." And don't know what it looks like to follow me. I want you to go and do that. He said, I want you to just teach the stuff that I taught you. If I didn't talk to you about it, then don't teach that. But but, but teach whatever I taught you and kind of has clicked in your head and heart. That I want you to go teach other people. And then Jesus says he will do something that only he can do in their hearts. He will do that. And, and, and Jesus and that person in their own time will work out their stuff. And when that time comes, Jesus says, they'll put their trust in me. But that's between me and them. But then he looks back at, at his church, and I'm not just talking flat, I'm talking about his church all over the world, and says, no, listen, when they put their trust in me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize them into my name. That's what we did last weekend in here. 717 people kind of made a kind of decision, I, I'm with Jesus in, in my life. And Jesus says, but, but don't stop there. It's don't it's not don't dunk them and dump them. That's not it. That's what a lot of churches do. I want you to keep on going together. Yeah, you know, I want you to keep on living together and, and when 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 you make a mistake, not if, but when you make mistakes and, and life gets really tough, I want you to help each other and encourage one another until I return. And I promise, by the way, I will return. Now, folks, that's not complicated. Church was never supposed to be complicated, but over the last couple thousand years, it's just gotten weird. See, he never told us to teach stuff that we don't know. know, he 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 didn't say, I want you to answer questions even though you don't know the answer to them. A lot of people try to do that. It just doesn't work. We're never told to try to replace Jesus in somebody's life and be Jesus to somebody or try to be his Holy Spirit in their heart. A lot of people have that confused. I'm gonna convert you. I'm gonna fix you. I'm gonna change you. It's not your job. That's between God and them. All he's told his church to do is just go And give an answer and explanation for what and why you believe in me. And do your best with Jesus in you to to live out what you say you believe and then link arms with one another. And if somebody makes a mistake, don't beat them up. This should be the one place on earth where we don't shoot our wounded, where we don't throw stones. What I found, if you throw stones at people, they just ricochet back and hit you. So we just don't wanna be that place, all right? See, Jesus came to change the whole world by changing us individually, right? He didn't come to be changed, he didn't come to be voted most popular, all right? He, he never came to be politically correct. He also didn't come to be mean to people, hateful to people, judgmental or destructive of people. i want to think about it. Jesus taught stuff like this. Hey, be nice to each other. Be kind to one another. Compassionate and forgive one another. Jesus taught things like this. God so loved the world that he sent me. And the next verse says this. And I didn't come to judge or condemn you. I could and I'm qualified to. I actually came to save you. Jesus says there's a thief, he's talking about Satan, who comes to steal and kill and destroy everything and everyone important in your life. He says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, a better life. The other thing Jesus said about his church, all right, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, he said, nothing's gonna stop my church. Death won't stop my church. Persecution won't stop my church. Governments can pass laws. They can have wars. Nothing that Satan or the world could ever come up with will ever be able to stop my church from growing and moving forward and and being the primary instrument that Jesus says he's gonna use to introduce people to himself that don't know him and, and, and grow up and use people that do know him. Now, we're gonna tie all this together and you're gonna go, oh, now I know what he's talking about. Here we go think about this people used to say nothing will ever sink the titanic but it sank it's not here anymore and jesus said nothing would ever be able to stop or sink his church which i believe you know because he said it and and i believe it on a big worldwide basis but let's just be honest look around Every day I see churches all over Denver, all over Colorado, all over our country, all over the world falling apart and sinking and taking a lot of people down with them. Don't you? Some of you, that's what you crawled out of. You luckily got in a lifeboat in time and got out before your last place kind of went down. Churches that that at one time started strong Right, and they were described as, you know, my church is awesome, and it's on target, and it's growing, and it's and it's unsinkable. And then something happened, maybe all at once, or maybe over time. But now that church is gone. It's gone, and just like a sinking ship, it took a lot of people, some of our friends, down with it. Right. And on top of that, uh, uh, all these churches that are just blowing up and, and just becoming more and more and more weird are causing a lot of people who once thought about church, maybe even going back to church to look at what's happening in church world and going, why would I ever want to go there? Why would a church, let alone Jesus, have anything to say about my life? I mean, look at them. People don't trust church anymore. And I don't blame them. I don't. I had lunch with a guy last week who told me his story. A lot of times when I get together with people, I'm, I'm getting to know a little bit better. I'll just say, so tell me your story. And he said, you know, a few years back, I, I came to a place in my life where I still believed in God and Jesus and all that stuff. But, but when asked to go to church, my response every time was, and I quote, hell no, I'm not going to church ever again. No, people would say, please come to church. No, I'm just not gonna do that. I'll never go back to church again. Because in his experience, church is full of mean people. Right? And the leaders were really abusive, hateful, and the whole place was just full of hypocrites. So I'm not going back. The funny thing about that, and this is how I came to have lunch with him, is that his wife didn't give up on him. She kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him, and finally, just to get her off his back, he made what he thought was gonna be a safe bet. And he said, Okay, I'll go to church if you can find a church that plays Marilyn Manson. And then I'll go. So she did, and we did. <laughs> And they've gone to church here for the last three years, all right? Now, here, welcome. Here's my point, all right? I don't want to be the Titanic. I don't want us to be the Titanic as a church, and I don't want to be the Titanic in my own life. I don't want to ever look at us and be or become the kind of place that says, look at us. You know, look at us, we're the best, we're the biggest, we do it better or right or cooler or whatever, and then intentionally or or accidentally, we we begin to look at ourselves and go, we're unsinkable, and we're cruising along, and then boom, something happens, and we start sinking, and we take a lot of people down with us. See, I really haven't studied this, all right? When it comes to the Titanic, there are a lot, there's no shortage of opinions about how and why the Titanic hit an iceberg and sank, And what that captain should have done differently. I mean, everybody has an opinion on that. What nobody disagrees with is this. The sinking of the Titanic and all those people who lost their lives, that was all avoidable. Everybody agrees with that. It's all avoidable. It didn't have to happen. You know why? Because the thing that sank the Titanic wasn't an iceberg. The thing that sank the Titanic was arrogance. Right? Are you doing the math in your head and the comparison? Meaning the Titanic received no less than six messages warning them that night you're approaching dangerous waters messages that went everything from you know we've seen ice in the area and we've reduced our speed you might want to think about doing that to another message that was just blatant there's so much ice there's so many icebergs in the area that that we have turned our engines off and stopped dead in the water and we advise you to do the same because you're headed for the same dangerous area and the response from the titanic every time was exactly the same they ignored it they ignored it the captain got that word his response was don't change anything keep going full speed ahead we'll be fine we have a schedule to keep, things to do, places to go. We won't slow down. Other, other boats, they probably should. Change course, slow down, even stop. But we're the Titanic. And even if we encounter ice, even if we collide with ice that might damage or, or hurt other boats, we can't imagine a scenario of anything really bad happening to us. After all, we're unsinkable, so keep going. And they did. And three hours later, they found out, oh, we were wrong. We were wrong, but it was too late for the ship and the 1,600 people who paid the price. So again, do the math, make, make the comparison, right? The question is, what can we learn from the Titanic so that on, on several different levels, the same thing doesn't happen to us as a church and also as individuals? Because think about it, life's kind of like a journey, isn't it? We're trying to navigate dangerous waters of, of life as men and women and husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, moms, dads, kids, friends. We're, we're on a journey and our, and our goal is to get from A to B and not lose anyone. Well, in that life, I wanna get from here to there and get, have everybody get there t- t- together, right? But we have to be honest. We are, or at least I am, capable of doing something wrong or running into or hitting someone or something that has the potential to sink Not just my life, but the life of everybody standing close to me. And that's some of our stories, right? So so what's my best chance and your best chance of living a life that's more than a series of bumping into stuff? You know, of of life tanking collisions. Is there or what is a better way to sail or navigate the dangerous waters to live your life more than a, a constant cycle of full steam ahead? I'm unsinkable. I'll be fine. Boom. I was wrong. Right? Here's a big question. Is it possible? Do you think? Is it possible to live a life that is unsinkable? Think that's possible? Because, because Jesus, would, if he was here, you'd be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A better life, an abundant life, an unsinkable life. Jesus would say it's more than possible. He says, if you'll hold on to me, I promise you, I'll, I'll make sure you have it. I promise you can have a better unsinkable life. So let's go back like we always do. And let's start with Jesus. If he was here, we could ask him, so Jesus, how did you run your life? How did you navigate the decisions that you had to face? If Jesus was here, what would he say is, is the first most important value that a person must hold on to if they have any hope of getting from where they are to where they say they want to be? Jesus says, a, a better life. And people ask Jesus questions like that all the time. Who do you think you are? Why do you do that? Everybody else does this, but you don't do that. Why? And, and here's how he answered those questions. Look at John chapter five. This is Jesus. He said, he gave him this answer. You want to know why I do what I do? All right, here it is. I tell you the truth. The son, talking about himself, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now that sounds kind of Bible-ish, so let me put it in gym language. That's how I roll. All right, so anyway, Jesus said this. You want to know the truth? Here it is, right? Here's how I run my life. I can't or I I don't do anything by myself. I don't, do, I don't do anything in isolation from my father, God. You wanna know how I make decisions? I only do what I know my father is telling me to do. That's all I do. And later in that same chapter, down in verse 30, he says this, by myself or on my own or you know, based on my gut feeling or based on my emotions or my opinions about something, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge, I make my decisions about right and wrong, go right and left, whatever that is. I judge only as I hear from God and my judgment is just, my decisions are right. For, for I seek or I'm trying not to please myself, but, but him, God, who sent me. You want to know why I'm making decisions, why I do that and don't do that? It's because I know that's what God's telling me to do. I know it would be foolish to try to make everybody happy. I know everybody in my life, everybody in my family, everybody in my neighborhood is, is going to look at me and go, that's not logical. And I don't think you ought to do it that way. That's fine, but I know that's what God's telling me to do. Another time, Jesus taught, this is, this is kind of like what living your life looks like. It's kind of like building a house. And I, I learned this story when I was in Sunday school as a song. So sing along if you know the song. But he said, it's kind of like building a house. And he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that'd be the underlying part, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down and the, fl- the, sorry, the streams rose. Sorry, that's free. No extra charge. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain, the same rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. According to Jesus, it's not just enough to agree with him. It's not even enough to come in rooms like this and as Scott or I say stuff like Jesus said this and you look back at me and go, "Mm, that's probably true. You you, you should probably do that, right? It's not enough to, to agree with Jesus. No, see, Agreeing with Jesus, even believing all the right stuff, you got to hear this in context. It doesn't change anything, right? No, you have to hear and believe, and then you have to put it into practice. You have to, like house building, you have to adjust your house building to what you say you believe about house building. That's the difference between a house surviving a storm and a great crash, or in Titanic terms, sailing or sinking, so the obvious place that Jesus applied this to his own life, he's not just telling us what to do, but it was probably the night that he was arrested. We talked about this back at Easter. Jesus is in a garden and maybe he can hear or see the soldiers coming up the path with their torches to arrest him. And, and this is a, I gotta be honest with you, this is a scene about Jesus. I don't like to think about Jesus this way. I, I just don't. I mean, it's like, oh, I don't know if I like that. Well, look at this, all right? So he's in the garden. Here come the guards. Going a little further, he, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed. I, I don't like to think of Jesus on the ground. I like him on a mountain. Da, da, da. I like that kind of Jesus, you know, hovering or walking on water, like, stop. You know, all that kind of... I don't like him with his face in, in a garden in the dirt. I, I don't like it. But here's what he does while he's on the ground. He prayed, my father, if it's possible... Take this cup, and maybe he pointed to the soldiers. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, hey, Father, I know what's about to happen. I know what they're going to do to me when they get here. It's going to be really, 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 really hard and really, 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 really painful. I also know what it's going to accomplish. Them, you know, nailing me to that cross tomorrow is going to take away the sins of all people and it's going to reconnect them back to you. I get that totally, but, but how, how if it's possible and there's another way to actually accomplish what you want to accomplish, could, could we talk about that? You know, is there a way to connect people back to you that doesn't involve me being butchered on a cross and all the flesh ripped off my back? Is there a way to kind of go and still accomplish what you want to accomplish? If so, could we do that? But. It's not about what I feel or what I want or what I will. It's about what do you want? What do you will? And then apparently those, those guys that were in the garden with him, they, they, they remembered this or they, 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 they heard this prayer, but we've been looking at this ever since Easter, the, the acts of the very first Christians, they were put in really hard situations. They were, they were, they were hauled in front of judges and kings and, and all these you know, rulers and said, you need to shut up about Jesus. And they had to make a decision. Am I going to you know, th- do the right thing or am I going to take the easy way out and kind of cop out and do what they tell me to do? And over and over in, in really tough decisions, you find them saying stuff like this. Look at Acts chapter four. Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. In other words, we're going to keep on doing what God told us, not what you're telling us to do. Acts chapter five, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We have to obey God rather than you. We're going to obey God. I know my mom wants me to do this, and my whole family group wants me to do this, and my boss at work wants me to do this, my coach wants me to do this, my parents want me to do this, my, my whole family thinks I ought to do this. I'm going to obey God rather than all of them. And we can keep on going over and over and over, but these first followers of Jesus wrote this down over and over in the Bible. You have to hear the truth, and you have to believe the truth, but the truth is, even the devil believes the same stuff we believe. The the difference is between standing and falling if you're a house or sailing and sinking if you're the Titanic and living and dying if you're us is this. Are you willing to believe the truth and then adjust your life to it? That's true and my life's over here. It doesn't really make a difference unless I'm willing to alter my course over to what Jesus said was true. He says that's the only way to live and not sink. So around here, we just call it our first value, all right? It's got two words if you want to write, t- write this down, all right? Biblical authority. Biblical authority, which means this. We, we believe that the Bible is God's word. We do. I know that sounds weird to some of us, you know, but we believe that the Bible is God's word and describes a better way to live. If we're willing to put ourselves under its authority and adjust our lives to what it says is true and better. We, we really believe that. That's what we're running after. Now, we don't worship this book. We worship the God that stands behind this book. We worship the God described in this book. I, I'm not saying I think every comma and period is in the right place. I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. We're, we're not saying that we understand everything in the Bible. And I've made it clear, there's stuff in the Bible I don't even like. Especially the forgiveness issues. I mean, some of them I do, like God forgives us. <laughs> That's awesome. Me having to forgive some of you, I don't really like that part. All right, because I know some of you. but Right? I wish that wasn't in there, but it is. What we're saying is this. We trust and rely on the Bible as our sole source of truth by which we guide our lives. And it's just the Bible. It's not the Bible and. It's not the Bible and the writings of so-and-so or the writings and then this guy found some stuff in the woods. It's not that. It's, It's not the Bible and I throw in a little Buddhism and a little yoga and a little Oprah and that's my faith system. No, that's not us, all right? It's not. We put ourselves under the authority of what God has defined as right and good found in the pages of this book. And the the, the moment we let go of that or look to something or someone else as our source of truth, it is a matter of time until we as a church and as individuals get off course and run into something that Jesus said on our own will sink us. Even if we're staying along going, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm unsinkable. You're not. Apart from what God says is true, we're all very sinkable. Which means as a church, we're going to hold on to the Bible as God's word. And it's true. You know, whether it's politically correct or politically incorrect, this year or next year or whatever, we're going to hold on to God's word as truth. When someone corners me in the lobby and it happens all the time or writes me a letter or an email going, so what, you, what, is your, what do you believe about this? Or what's your stance on this social issue? Or what do you teach about and fill in the blank? The response, let me just save you a conversation. It's always going to be the same. Jesus said this. It doesn't matter what I think. Jesus said this, and the Bible says this. And I'll always point to Scripture as our authority. And I've had these conversations. Well, I don't like that. I disagree with that. I just ignore that whole part, all right? And my response will be fine. Nobody can force you to believe or do anything. But that's what we're running after. That's our source of truth. That's what we're sailing after. And Jesus claimed to have the words of truth. Not just if we read them and believe them, but if we hold on to them. He said, if you'll hold on to my truth, my truth will set you free free from a lot of things that you see around you in the world that's got, got so many people locked up, locked in, things that'll sink us. So let me say, so you have your question for me. So what is flatter what's Jim, what's whatever, believe about this, all right? Let me just answer this. Listen, it, it, if you're looking for truth and you're open to the idea that, that, that truth may be different than what you thought it was, hoped it was, or wished it was, or you're just open to one little slice, all right? This is a great place to figure that out to work that out, to a safe place to work out what you believe and if you can go with what God says. But we're going to go after the Bible and, and nothing else. And again, I've had this conversation. Well, that's so arrogant. You, you think you have a corner on truth. You're the only one that has truth. I, I get it. I, I understand. I have, I've thought that before. You know, but, but the more I think about it, I, I, for me anyway, I think it would be more arrogant of me to try to live my life apart from God and on my own. And I think it would be really foolish to try to make everybody happy pacify the latest social or political wind that that blows this way but it'll blow a different way tomorrow that's arrogance that's foolish and it sank the titanic the same arrogance of i can run my life and i can make my own decisions and nobody's gonna tell me what to do and i'm my own boss and you know i don't have to pay attention to all the warning signs i'll be fine because i'm unsinkable it doesn't work ever use phrases like that you know what those are called usually famous last words right I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Oh, well, I guess not, right? So that's our first value as a church, biblical authority. Let's apply that to our own lives individually. And it goes back exactly to where we landed last week. It's the same set of questions. Why do we, or why do we have to keep on shipwrecking our lives? Well, why do we have to keep on losing everything or losing way too much before we start listening and paying attention to all the signals and messages that are coming our direction? Danger ahead. Really, really dangerous waters. You've got to change course now. There's a better way to go than where you're currently going. You're about to run into something. Why do we have to wait so long to pay attention? And again, you know, just like the Titanic, it would be one thing if, if it was just the captain who went down with the ship. If he was the only one who had to pay for his mistake of, of being arrogant and not paying attention. But the truth is, his mistake took 1,600 other people with him to the bottom of the ocean. 1,600 people who paid not for their mistakes, but for his. And Isn't that the same in our lives? I mean, I would love to say, you know, my constant, you know, ongoing string of screw-ups, it just hurt me. Nobody else got hurt by it. But that's not reality, is it? In my life, or at least in the most important areas of my life, a lot of the people standing close to me, the, the people in my life that I would say, I love them the most, those are the ones that get sucked down by my arrogance. They pay for my mistakes. A lot of times even more than I had to pay for it. And the question is, why does it have to be like that? Or does it? And again, the arguments come, everybody makes mistakes here and there, everybody runs into something every once in a while, nobody's perfect, and I get that, but why do we have to keep on running into the same things? Why do we have to keep on making the same mistakes over and over before we humble ourselves and admit, I I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't don't have it all figured out, I need to pay attention and decide, something needs to change, I need to change, some things need to change in my life, I need to do something different, because if I don't, my life is going to be and always will be a shipwreck. So what, what if, okay, and you don't have to do this between you and God, but what if you decided to take what Jesus says is this is a better way to navigate your life? And what if, like from this point on, you tried this, to not just believe that Jesus is right or true, not just nod your head and go, yeah, a lot of people should try that. But what if you got up out of this room and said, okay, I'm gonna take out one truth, and I'm gonna try to put that into practice in my life this week. So uh, where do you start? I mean, a lot of us are sitting going, I, I would love to do that. How, how, how do you do that? Where do you start? I want to give you three little things. All right, then we'll get out of here. All right, because I'm going to the ball game. So <laughs> yeah, we got time. All right, so, all right, so um, um, priorities. Um, I'm going to give you three things that going, all right, I, I want to apply God's word in my life. Where do I start? Well, let me give you a win right now. All right, first of all, just keep coming every week. Some of you going, I'm here. I, I got the first one. That, that's great. But what if you just strung some weeks together? Because every week we're going to do this. We're going to open up the Bible. It's going to be on the screens. It's going to be in your program. And here's what we're going to come in here with the attitude of. Or this is what we need to. It's like, okay, God, I'm, I'm here. Okay? I'm, I'm paying attention. Tell me what's better than what I'm doing. I'm not saying I'll agree with you. I'm not saying I'll do it today or tomorrow or next week. But I'm, I'm open to it. Teach me something. And you watch. I, I bet he will. Parents, let me just encourage you, all right? Even if you're sitting there going, this is the worst thing ever, all right? Um, our kids' ministry is phenomenal we have great leaders over there but let me tell you because you, you don't you drop your kids off and like i'm free and you get, you run or i don't know i bet it but let me tell you what's going on over there right now every week your your children are being told that god made them jesus loves them and has a plan for their life and other than you there's not a lot of other voices telling them that that's yeah, worth getting out of bed for it just really 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 is all right the second thing would be this, all right? And this is going to be like, oh, I was afraid he's going to say this. What if you tried to read your Bible like every day? So we're going, oh, see, this is a cult. They're going to try to get in our heads and all that, all right? <laughs> all right? And again, I, I know you cannot come up with an argument against this that I haven't already come up with. You're sitting there going, but I don't even understand the Bible. And parts of it are so boring. <laughs> I agree. All right? This is my major in college. And I agree. I'm like, well, why'd you say that? All right? I mean, but, but I'm not saying, what if you read the whole Bible every day? But what if you just start with some good parts. I think it's all good, but there's, there's some parts better than others, right? But what if, what if uh, you started just with the stories about Jesus, the Gospels, the, the biographies of Jesus? What if in the next month you tried to read one book of the Bible, like the book of Mark? A like guy named Mark, uh, you know, a, a small, tiny little book about the life of Jesus. You go, well, I don't read books. I, I, I'm your king. I don't either. There's no pictures in the Bible either. It's just, you know, whatever. But, uh... But what if between now and June 1st, you said, I, I want to I I read those 27 pages in my Bible. So I, I don't know if I could even do that. Okay, how about this? What if every day you got out of bed and sometime before you went back to bed, you spent two or three minutes reading the Bible? And I'm not really in favor of this, but, but it's, it's a baby step. All right, so what if you just open your Bible, you know, and go, all right, so, all right, so. And then you go, okay, I read it. All right. And then you go, go to work, all right? And, and, and just try to do that. And hopefully you don't land on Judas hung himself. or That, that would be bad. Don't, don't do that. Right. But, uh, but I, I just think God's smart enough that if you just, you know, open it and spend two minutes every day and go, all right, I have compassion for people. That's what it says. That's what I open to. What if, what if today I just tried to just not be a jerk? <laughs> Another word came to mind, but pray for me. Um, so you say, well, does it really do any good? I don't know. You know what I think the, big, the biggest win of just spending two minutes in God's word every day is, whether you get anything out of it or not? You started your day by going, this is the thermostat of my day. I'd really believe it. And the third one would be this. We have questions online. I mean, this talk, is, it may already be online, but uh, it'll be online by tomorrow. And then at, there's a little button. I don't know what it's called, but you push this button and like eight or nine questions will come up about this talk. And what if between now and the time you come back in here next week, you click on that button at work, on a break, or on your, on your phone in traffic, or don't do that, that'd be bad. You'll go to heaven if you crash, but it won't, no. Don't do that, but, but what if you just went, okay, so this week Jim said this about the Titanic and about God and about life, blah, 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 blah. what about you, and then there's a really simple question, what if you just kind of work through that between now and next, next Sunday? You so know, I, I could do that, I'll give you something better. Hey guys, remember this? Remember, we all kind of stood up and we walked up here, and a lot of us did, and a lot of us have done it since then, but we said, you know, I I want to be a better leader in my home. I want to be the spiritual thermostat of my home. And I, I can't lead a Bible study for my kids. I mean, I just go bad if you right? Right? I understand. Children gather around. Moses did say this, and you like, and the kids would go like, You're dumb. You know, whatever that is. So like, you can't do that. But you know what if your kids saw you crack a Bible every day? And they don't know what you're reading, they just know my dad reads the Bible. Or my stepdad reads the Bible or my boyfriend reads the Bible every day. What if you start doing that together? You say, well, that's, that's all you're talking about. That's all I'm talking about. It's called a baby step in the right direction. Just see where it takes you. All right. I, I, I'm done. We're going to keep on going with five more values starting, starting next week and, and, and encourage you to come back. We're going to sing two songs and then we're going to get out of here and go watch the Rockies and uh, um, or the Nuggets or whatever. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, so, uh, Yeah, uh, they need prayer, both teams. Okay, so uh, let's stand up. I'm going to pray. We'll sing two songs and get out of here. I hope you come back. All right, grab a Bible, free Bibles in the back, and you go, well, I'll be embarrassed to pick up a Bible. Well, just tell people you gave yours away. (laughs) Oh, you're spiritual. Have another. But anyway, so let me pray. God, I love you so much. I thank you for a place, a community. We can come in and and not just laugh at ourselves, but be honest with ourselves and look in the mirror and go, you know, the Titanic kind of looks like me. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to steer my, my own personal life and my family and my relationships in the right way. But honestly, my life has been a string of bumping into stuff. And I've gotten hurt along the way. I've hurt some other people along the way. But for some reason, I'm still here. I'm still floating, which means maybe there's still a point and purpose to my life. And I want a better life from this point on. And If I can find that in what your, your son Jesus says, and when he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life, I need a better way. I need some truth. And I want a better life. And if I can find that in Jesus, then I'm I'm paying attention. God, I love you. I need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.